Hello, everyone, and welcome to AI Literacy, your podcast about artificial intelligence. We're your hosts. I'm Anna Regina Entis. And I'm Victoria Rubli. Thank you for tuning in to a new episode of AI Literacy. So today we're going to be talking to Robert Redmond, who is an IBM design principal and head of AI at Product Design. And he has been with IBM for almost six years now. Hello, Robert. Hello, Robert. We're honored to have you here at AI Literacy today for our third episode, where we're going to talk about how chatbots know what we want. So thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So right now at IBM, you're working at the intersection between the creative and the more technical part. So right. uh, between the design and the AI. Mm -hmm. But this was not always the case. You actually started as a creative director mm -hmm. and in marketing and over time acquired the knowledge and expertise in AI and tech. So how did you find your path in connecting both worlds and what made you go towards this more technical direction? Interesting experience. So you're right. I spent the formative years pursuing a career in creativity, design, uh, illustration. When I started work in New York City, it was predominantly an interactive agency. So I got a lot of early experience working with the concept of data, websites, communications, and had the opportunity to learn a lot about not just how to design for user experiences, but also how to think about functionality and what was possible. Because Back when the internet began, you know, before the first bubble burst, we had a lot more constrictions on the types of things that we could do, and it required a lot of flexibility. We were still building websites with tables, uh, as opposed to some of the more modern technology that we have today. So I learned a lot over the course of that experience, uh, evolved into advertising. And then a few years ago, I started to sort of seek out whatever the next phase of my career was going to be, moving from being a, an art director and then a creative director in advertising agencies to a new adventure. So I actually got a role with the weather company, moved my family. That was another kind of component there to relocate. That experience provided me this opportunity to take all of that learning and all of that creative energy and apply it to the employ of data like weather, uh, location, things that we know about consumers and, and habit, and to create new experiences. About the same time I joined the weather company, they were being pursued by a couple of different organizations, uh, of which IBM ended up being the one that acquired the weather company, the, the sort of digital part of the organization, our website and our forecasting technology. And so in that transition, I kind of fell into the AI path. I looked at it. I was always intrigued by it. Science fiction nerd. So always something that's been somewhere back here in the back of my mind. But when that transition happened, I was given the opportunity to, uh, to co-lead a team to try and figure out how we bring AI into what we do from a digital advertising perspective. Uh, and in that journey, we got to pull over a team of, of researchers and, and engineers who'd been working in the space. And so over the course of a, actually a weekend, we came up with the concept that eventually became our Watson Conversations product. But in that process, I became infatuated with the sort of employee of code and understanding it with natural language processing, with machine learning, with you know, visual recognition. I really wanted to dive into each of these different categories and try and understand them to best that I could. So I learned how to stand up my own platform here, my own local environment to start kind of playing with these tools to really understand what was possible 
in the launching of that product sort of became one of the, the subject matter leads in our organization focused on advertising and have continued to grow that knowledge ever since. It's actually become a very strong passion point for me moving forward because it really allows me to combine the, the design, the problem solving, the creativity with this bleeding edge technology that can do really powerful things. And the, in this whole process, was there a time where you taught yourself how to code or when you said you started trying to understand the code and understand how natural language processing machine learning works, were you also the one coding or only like going through the code of the engineers, for example? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I actually, early on, uh, early, much earlier in my career, uh, I, As a designer, I encountered on a couple of occasions early where I would ask, hey, could we do this um, and design it? And I would find that the engineers would say, well, mm, eh, it's going to be too complicated. And, and, you know, after a couple of experiences of not understanding the why, I really wanted to dig in and begin to understand the why. And so I started teaching myself to code back in when we had HTML 2.0. JavaScript was a baby. We were using Flash and Macromedia Director as sort of multimedia experiences. I taught myself to code way back then, several different languages, so that I could understand the, the concept of logic and classes and how functions worked and the way to pass things back and forth. And so I've carried that through all of my experiences. When it came to diving into machine learning, yeah, absolutely learned how to do this on my own. I grabbed a Raspberry Pi and stood up a, a chat bot using speech to text and text to speech with Watson um, assistant at the core of that, that we could actually, I can send things back and forth. And then I created and crafted whole conversations within that implementation uh, and brought it over. So I really kind of trying to dive in to the technology. I'll never be an expert at it. I'll never be the one creating the next new awesome thing. But to have the understanding of it and then the design frame of reference really makes for, a, I think, the ability to explain it well, to understand the limitations and or how far you can push it. Uh, and I think it also just makes design better because you have intent behind the the interface that you're creating. Yeah, so I'd like to pick up on exactly that. Um, you've been saying that you were working with chatbots. So at the IAB report about artificial intelligence, where you wrote several articles um, about the use cases and best practices this year. You were talking about some of the companies you were working with for having like more conversational marketing approach to that. Could you maybe tell us about uh, a specific project that you're working on? Sure. I can't talk about things that we're working on now, but I can talk about things that we've, we've won a ton of awards with our partnerships with quite a few organizations. Um, that are public knowledge that they're using our technology. One that, that I've thoroughly enjoyed is our relationship with Bear Paint. Bear Paint Company is a um, paint company. They're sold at the Home Depot uh, here in the US. And we worked with them to try and explore ways in which we could kind of encourage DIYers, uh, people who are going to look to sort of transform their space themselves, uh, to get through this, this decision sort of stasis that happens, right? People will go and they'll get wood, they'll get paint chips, they'll come home, they'll look at them. And then like a period of 90 days will pass before they actually make a decision. And so we worked with Bear Paint to create a conversational ad unit uh, that would actually invite the consumer in and then make recommendations for them. And it uses a chat bot technology underneath it using natural language processing 
uh, with a product that we've created for Watson Advertising called Watson Conversation. What essentially happens is the consumer is sort of prompted with an advertisement that has a call to action to like get a paint recommendation or find the right uh, inspiration for your project. And when they engage, we immediately prompt them with um, dialogue. We prompt them with uh, either something related to the experience they were coming from or something that will help them kind of jump into the process of uh, arriving at a recommendation. And so it'll be something along the lines of what room are you painting? And so they select a room and there's an important piece to the, the logic as much as there is the dialogue, right? The, the logic itself will essentially apply guidance to the recommendation that we deliver. The language allows the individual, the consumer in this case, to interact in a very open and fluid way. That experiment really allowed them to sort of step through, a, a, I think it was four steps. And then we actually used not just natural language processing, but tone analysis on top of that to allow them to input uh, an open field uh, text response about how they feel about a room. Um, in one scenario, we did that. And in a, another version, when we ran the, the same program, but changed a few things up, we actually did something that allowed them to make two or three quick choices. Behind those choices, uh, if you can imagine like a paragraph of text behind each one, and the random combination of those paragraphs being submitted to Another tooling that, that Watson has had over the years called Personality Insights allows us to sort of analyze the language, understand tone, understand intent behind it, and then drive a little bit more of a personality understanding around that consumer. So we use two different techniques in driving sort of the final moment of inspiration. Then we would present out uh, a recommended color or a set of colors that was specific to that person's opinion of their, their space and the moment in time, the way that they feel. Okay, so in this example, which you just gave of your chatbot or the, the chatbot you created for bear paint using natural language processing, you take the user by the hand and help them find their perfect color or their, their perfect painting color. Um, but just for a little recap for our listeners, how would you explain how the AI learns what to reply to each and every individual language input? Because if I... If I imagine there are a thousand ways of how someone could describe what they're looking mm -hmm. for in a paint color, and uh, how does the chatbot learn what to reply to each individual question? Because if we look at what types of chatbots there are, mm -hmm. we all came across uh, the basic ones, I would say, the ones that are rule-based, that include some yes and no questions sure. and some option buttons maybe, and they're very limited in what they can do because they've been coded to do a b c d and nothing else so basically when we type a question into the chat box usually they don't answer properly right. and this is where ai is normally not required and not used but then when ai comes into play and what you were talking about the algorithms process the language inputs and decode those language inputs and give them a meaning mm -hmm. and an intent but I would say it's a bit complicated to imagine for a person not coming from the tech side. Um, how can you explain or how would you explain how the system processes the language inputs, gives them a meaning and knows, okay, this word has this intent and this meaning and how does it decide what to reply? Sure. Uh, maybe I'll do it in, in sort of dissecting the way that we work to, to create these experiences. I think it's important to note that with in this particular scope, in this space, 
Um, it's not a rules driven chatbot, right? We're not doing, um, you know, make this choice, do that. We are doing the NLP, NLP processing. Um, the, the plan though, is that the bot itself, the, the experience is, it's never going to respond for a brand by creating its own response, right? Like we're not letting, there's no, there's no natural language generation or intelligence piece happening here. We're, we're choreographing that with the, the brand because we want to make sure that the response that we push out to uh, an individual consumer is something that they would approve of and that both the brand and the consumer have a good experience. So to be clear, the response out is is somewhat choreographed with exception to dynamic situations where we're including, for example, a paint color recommendation that's based on a cohort of paint colors that we're selecting from. But the way that we build conversations is we have to really scope out a sort of area of knowledge. We can't expect to be able to train an experience that knows everything. In the general science of all of it, we're a long ways from that. We're getting we're getting good at pulling up pretty solid scopes in 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 different areas. But you know, when you think about the word pen uh, in the English language, just spoken aloud. It's one of many different things. It's a utensil to write with. It's something to keep things in. It's something to hold something up on a wall. It's, you know, it has a has a lot of different connotations to it. And so there's a, a challenge when you're trying to diverse different scopes. So we set a scope for bear. It was paint uh, and the, the concept of home paint, not even indoor outdoor paint, right? Because we wanted to be very specific. So there's, there's defining this, a sort of scope of content. And then we create something uh, called a corpus. The corpus contains the dialogue that we're going to exchange upon and typically would include for each corpus entry, a series of statements or training statements, right? These end up becoming our intent training. What is the intent of the individual speaking? So the idea here is to understand when a consumer is saying something. I have an example I use a lot in this. How well does the coffee machine make coffee? What the, what the individual wants to know is, you know, does this coffee machine make coffee well? But there are a bazillion different ways that someone could ask something around a coffee machine. So the, the idea of intent is to teach the system, uh, in this case, Watson, to understand what the consumer's intent is so that it can go out and find the appropriate response to return. So we start with a corpus over this subject matter that we're going to be working against and we create uh, training intents. We begin training against that, and then we start testing it, and we do a couple of different methodologies, um, and we've continued to evolve this as this product has matured, where we might have individuals like ourselves just kind of going and playing with it and asking it questions in different ways. Um, we would also uh, go down the path of a little bit of natural language generation. Can we, can we take existing statements and do derivative statements that we can then use as a blind set to hit the system and just have it hammer on it? What all this training does is it reinforces the system's ability to comprehend and understand what that consumer is saying. So when a consumer says, oh, I want to paint the living room. While living room is a choice, they could have said that a couple of different ways. They could have said den, they could have said sitting room. There's a, a couple of different ways that they could enter into that. We want to make sure that the system really understands that. So that gets the content in. So if we take the example scenario of the dining room, which you just gave, let's say the chatbot doesn't understand the user's input because maybe the user uses a word which the algorithm has not been trained on or um, yeah, the algorithm basically just does not understand what the user wants to know. How do you manage the right. situation? Will you connect them with a real person, someone from the customer service, for example, 
or how are you handling this in order to avoid dissatisfaction mm -hmm. or complaints uh, from the user side? So we operate in a strange space. Um, advertising is you, the user, you, you the experience, so you, Anna, you weren't, you weren't expecting to see the ad, right? The ad appeared for you. And so you have no expectation in that moment. We also have a, a long road to walk to get you in the moment. And a successful ad does that well, right? We pull you in, you end up clicking and you engage, and that's our goal. And, and if we get you to do that, then we've achieved the mission uh, to an extent. When you're engaging, what we try and do is provide opportunities. If you're close, but you're like a little off, we're going to reprompt you. And in that reprompt, hopefully provide, you know, one or two options that meet your needs Uh, and you selecting the right one is going to inform the system. But there are also scenarios where you may ask something completely off base. So let's say we're working through the painting scenario and you're, we're trying to get you to a recommendation, but you just sort of stop mid flow and you're like, wait, how much paint do I need to buy? Because that's kind of in scope. It's in the realm of what we're talking about. We're likely training on that. So we're going to have a response prepared so we can meet that expectation and make sure that you have a good experience. If somebody were to say something sort of ridiculous, like who won the World Series in 1956? We don't know. And it's kind of irrelevant. So we tend to have a couple of different options available to, to pull the consumer back into the conversation. Sometimes they're witty, depending on the brand that we're working with, right? It might be something like... Um, I don't know what you're talking about, but you just spilled that paint all over the floor. Let's get back to finding you the right paint for the wall, right? Like something like that, that we didn't actually use that. I just made that up on the fly. But, you know, that idea, right? Like re-engage them into the conversation. In other industry verticals, it might require that redirect to a live person. Uh, typically, we don't directly connect them in an ad experience because they're technological as well as uh, privacy implications of doing that direct connection from that type of a, a componentry. But what we would do is drive them to a live chat, for example, on the brand website or to a phone number that they can call directly on their phone. So if we now imagine we have a company, we managed to build the chatbot, we understand at like what you said, uh, 98% uh, the, the customer's intent, what he wants to um, to have answered, mm -hmm. then sometimes we still get these, for example, if you have to enter a phone number and the chatbot will like tell you this number is invalid. If like something is missing, that seems like kind of weird and odd. And instead mm -hmm. with what you're doing right now, you're using mm -hmm. the conversational style. So it will be like, there seems to be a number missing in this phone number. Can you try to retype it so we can correct the Uh, send you like a message mm -hmm. and theoretically this should increase the customer satisfaction right mm -hmm. because then you feel like you're talking to at least someone who's engaging with you right. um, but how much importance is that like actually this conversational and dialogue tone uh, to the customer relationship so i think that's interesting and there's there's been a lot of study um around the the psychology of uh consumer emotion and the connection between entities, right? And whether that's human to human uh, in a customer service experience, right? We tend to, as humans, we are the important and special one. And that other person or human is servicing our needs in this moment. And therefore we're thinking about us. And so when you, when you take a human out of that context and you put machine in, it becomes even more challenging to, to sort of balance. I think we try and, and cultivate experiences that avoid those types of scenarios. One example would be like, you know, in the advertising space, we would never 
directly consume a phone number, which you know would be considered like personally identifiable information. Uh, instead, we would look for ways to drive them to a different experience. But I think that there are ways that you can use these technologies along with you can use some front end validation of that information before you even submit it so that the system itself never has to do that processing. And in fact, what happens is you validate the number or if it's invalid, then the response comes back and says, you know, I didn't quite get that. I think there might be something missing. Can you just give me the missing number or retype the whole number? Right. It becomes like a little bit more along the lines of the same way that conversation might happen if you were on the phone. If I say, you know, we've all done it, right? Give me your account number and you read your account number out and they're like, I didn't get the last three digits or whatever and you have to do it. In a system that has a front-end validation mechanism that's built into the way the experience is delivered, you take the weight of that off the AI and you put that on a mechanism that's been around for a long period of time. You just build a smarter interaction. But still, in general, I've had countless bad experiences with chatbots no matter which company (laughs) Um, i cannot even remember one positive chatbot experience and based on what you were talking about about the conversational part which is supposed to improve the the customer experience so much Mm -hmm. but still it seems so hard for companies to put it into action and this doesn't only happen in small or medium-sized companies even the big big tech giants fail to implement user-friendly chatbots. Well, and I think I think even those tech giants are relying on they're relying on people to make decisions around how those types of conversations should flow instead of providing frameworks for how they should flow. And so what you end up having is a, a massive gap in knowledge even if the scope of, you know, the topical scope is is relatively close. Um, we call those, you know, the dumb bots, right? They're like I can, I can help you do like five things and that's it, but I don't disclose what those five things are to you. You have to wayfind them. They're very challenging experiences. I think that's one of the reasons that advertising has worked so well is because you didn't know I was coming. All of a sudden I'm here. You have no expectations. I am specifically talking to you about this product or brand. The experience that I'm going to give you is going to be very focused because I'm going to keep you in it. And you're going to have a delightful experience because there's no way to have any other experience. And if you try and go off course, we're just going to bring you right back to where we are. Yeah, but what are those companies doing wrong? I mean, why do we have those dump bots still? And why is it still so hard to implement a perfectly working or smoothly working digital assistant? So I would reflect on our own experience, right? Uh, I think oftentimes what happens in these types of scenarios is we as humans tend to think, oh, it's AI. It's super, super, super smart. It's going to do it for us. I can just like give it some content. It'll be all, it'll be great. And I think what you find is you get into creating a a chatbot. And if you've never done it before and you don't have a, a, a path to creation, which by the way, ours is storied, I can tell you about in a moment, then, then you sort of get into this space where you're trying to create something, but you, you're not really thinking about all the the shortcomings or where things can fall off. It's like it's like trying to build a sandcastle but not realizing how close to the water you are and like every time you get something up like there's a little wave that comes in and laps away at it because you don't have the foresight to see the water's going to keep coming, right? Which I, I, in this scenario would be the dialogue. It's just going to keep coming. So you got to make sure you have a big enough girth and a way to deal with anything that goes 
um, sort of off topic. You were saying that you're going to tell us about. Yeah, so storied, yeah. So when we started at the beginning, I mentioned kind of, you know, IBM took us on. We got we inherited a team of engineers, uh, just brilliant people that I've had the, the luxury of working with and learning from uh, over the course of the past five years who had been working a lot in this space, uh, in machine learning, in natural language processing, helping uh, pioneer some of the work around um, the way that Watson Assistant works. When they came on and when we started this process, probably one of the most storied kind of like natural language processing wins, if you will, was when we took Watson on Jeopardy several years ago uh, and used uh, Watson against Ken Jennings and I forget the other guy to sort of like play the game of Jeopardy through natural language processing and understanding and, and knowing a huge corpus of data. And winning. And winning. But that took a long time for them to train against. So when we started creating conversational experiences, they would take a long time to build. Like when we first launched the Watson conversation product, it was actually referred to as Watson ads back then. I think it took us somewhere between 18 to 20 weeks to build, which is a big, big amount of time in research and in like development. It's not necessarily a huge amount of time in the advertising space. That is quite the commitment from an advertising partner, right? They make decisions quickly. Their media dollars have to keep moving because they have to turn, you know, a return. So that 20 weeks was a, a bit scary. We wanted the product to survive. We knew that it would be successful. So we had to work diligently, consistently, the sort of first two and a half years to continue to just trim that down. And every one that we built, every time we built one, we got better. We built little tools. Those little tools helped facilitate things. I think I mentioned earlier the, the concept of, using NLG to generate um, sort of statement variants and then auto hitting the system with those. Like all of that is automated. We don't even touch it, right? Like we created these tools to help make the technology better. Uh, we created mechanisms that would um, start to look at trending topics that were important to different types of people and be able to react to that, right? So kind of looking at that whole scope of things and being solely focused on it, we developed a really good system. And I think when you when you look at the work that took us, you know, two years to perfect and really get into a solid space, uh, one of the early experiences we created was for Toyota. We actually have done several for Toyota. But the first one we did for them was when Prius Prime, which is their fully uh, electric Prius vehicle, was coming out. It took us, I want to say, with with them somewhere in the in the realm of like 18 or 19 weeks to get that thing done and live. And it was a lot of back and forth and a lot of learning. The last one that we did for them was a RAV4 hybrid. I think it took us like four weeks, right? Like we've massively reduced our time to market through systems, through creating tools. We created something that we refer to as knowledge kits. There are a lot of different groups across the industry that refer to them as different things. But for us, what they are, are like, if you've ever built a website and you've used Bootstrap, which is, you know, kind of sets up the form and function, it's like a Bootstrap for conversation, right? It comes in with all the intents and an example response. And you can go in and like train those over and put in a new response, or you can kind of use it as it is. We built a bunch of tools like that that give us the opportunity to do these things more accurately and more in depth. But I think the difference is we were really focused on delivering the best in class product, whereas most people go into these endeavors saying, I'm going to try this technology. And those two motivations are very different. And you end up with kind of a shoddy experience when you're not really putting everything into it. 
But like going back to exactly this, um, how do you decide on what is really worth training the algorithm on? And like, I mean, for Jeopardy, of course, you train it on like everything, you know. But like, for example, for Toyota, mm -hmm. how do you define like which queries are run often enough to actually train the algorithm on it? And how do you say, okay, this is so specific, we're going to let the person deal mm -hmm. with this? For us and advertising... The corpus and the content within it is often driven by um, the KPI of the, the partner we're working with, right? So in talking about Bear, the thing that they were focused on was a reduction in time between um, initial visit to conversion on a paint color, right? How do we reduce that time? So that's pretty abstract. That's pretty big. What we do is spend a lot of time with the business owner, really trying to understand the key pieces of information that are important. We take in like customer inquiries or uh, customer support dialogue. We'll take in um, social engagements that they've, that they've had around like, what are the topics? What are important to individuals and consumers? And when we pull all of that in, we use that to generate the overall corpus. Sometimes that is done using a programmatic approach where we're using a, a system to sort of process all of that and grade and value it based on um, the tone that's arriving around it or the amount of content specific to a certain subject or category. Other times it's purely choreographed, right? It's purely planned out. I have a person on my team. She's a copywriter by trade in the industry, but in the context of the past five years it has evolved into what we refer to as a, a conversational architect, right? She thinks about the conversation and the outcomes and what's important to the consumer and how we can parlay that back to what's important to the brand. It's partly strategy, it's partly outcome, and it's partly choreography in getting them to the right content. What do you think, how many years will it take until we uh, achieve or we, we reach the point where the machine actually or the bot actually understands and naturally replies, which would reduce the time of you, the, all the weeks you have been spending building it immensely. So what do you think when, when this is going to happen? There are futurists who believe that we are, you know, a couple years out. I think from a researcher perspective, we're probably in that space in certain domains. I think the natural language generation research and work, some of the open work that's happening right now is progressing. Uh, we've seen it in our own experiments, um, the ability to sort of create models that, that can write for specific types of things, like questions are not as hard as uh, statements are, right? Like factual statements, especially. I think we're a few years out from a research perspective. I think seeing that in production environments where we really have an autonomous system that can really respond, there's always a scope issue. And I think until intent can become sort of multi-level, which we've explored and, and played with as well. And the conceptual breakdown of that multi-level intent can be understood completely by the system. We'll have challenges in that space. It just feels like the complexity that we're up against from a language perspective is so broad and huge that it's going to be a hot minute before we get there in any sort of autonomous way. Will it also be, or do you think it will also be possible to Basically, before even someone opens the chatbot, maybe only visits the website or app, predict the intent, or maybe mm -hmm. only after one or two inputs because of previously collected data about this person, for example, if it's identifiable, 
will it be possible to predict the outcome or the intent beforehand, basically? I think we can do some of that now. We can do things like standard what's available with code things like passing state, if you will, between things. So one example might be if you do a Google search for how much paint do I need and Bear happened to be sponsoring that particular type of line of questionnaire keywords and the ad shows up, I can pass something into a bot en route and then have it start with that context. We can do some of that. I think when we get more into the predictive level of in more of an assistant focused bot in banking, if you're logged in, if you're authenticated, if we know enough information around you, we have first party data around you, there's a ton that we can do with that and engage you on. I can even already model patterns based off you, the consumer, and the types of things that you do when you engage with a banking site or individuals who look like you, right? White, male, South, Southern US, this type of job, this income level, these types of deposits. I'm going to infer that when this individual comes in, he's going to look at his savings account first. And so the bot can come up and say, should we look at savings? I see that you have a balance of whatever and like fully report it to me before I even have to do anything. I think we're already there in a lot of ways. It's, it's not the bot, it's the work to model, predict, and deliver the bot a thing to respond to. And then I think it's creating what we have available to us now is a, more of a template structure that has a language perspective to it. What if that balance was negative? You wouldn't want to say you have a balance of and it's zero, right? It, would be, it looks like right now your savings account uh, could use an influx or whatever. I don't know how that would work, but you would want to have a, a logical template mechanism there. And I think we can do a lot of that now. I think when we get to a point where you come on and you say, when, when is the next time a paycheck comes in? That's going to require the system either to have a lot of information coming into it and that to be a pre-planned templated response, or the system has to be intelligent enough to employ all the tools that it has at its disposal to learn about you and then be able to manipulate the data that's returned into an actual assembled response, right? I think the understanding of the intent and the understanding of the meaning behind the answer that it's gonna reply with, if there are variances in the way that, that that would be delivered. That's where things get complicated, I think. So for the future of advertisement and of advertising now, especially now that like third-party cookies are pretty much fading out, do you think that that like chatbots will be the next best thing replacing them by collecting data and delivering like the tailored ads? I think that long-term we will see a continued proliferation of the chatbot concept in the digital marketing mix. Will it always be an ad? The part of me that works in the business of ads uh, says, yes, I hope so. And I hope we can continue to make it better. The way that we will engage with machines will continue to um, transform. I mean, it's adorable when my child comes out here, my small one, and sits in my lap, and he's like trying to touch screen on my giant monitor, which is in no way, shape, or form a touch screen. I think the same is true to the way that we have conversation um, with entities and organizations. I think we're going to get to a point where it makes sense for everyone to sort of follow the same path. And so it's going to become a consumer expectation that they can speak to a brand without having to speak to a human to get those low lying questions answered and maybe even complex things done. I hope that we'll get the chance to experience the time when using a properly working chatbot to communicate with a brand 
becomes a given, but let's see when this is going to happen. Thank you so much for your time and insights today about chatbots and about how we can imagine a chatbot understand what we're asking it. So thanks a lot, Robert, for being here with us today at AI Literacy. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode and want to learn more about AI, make sure to subscribe to AI Literacy on Spotify, SoundCloud, or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for being with us today. We can't wait to share other insights on AI with you and help you become an AI literate.